0: I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus disturbs evil. Evil is not comfortable around Jesus. And this man is agitated, and this demon that is possessing him speaks through the man and using his vocal cords and his voice, this demon says, Go away. He doesn't want contact with Jesus. And he says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, we know the answer to that question is yes, because First John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of Man appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. That is why he's come. And he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the, the demons recognize what sometimes we as people do not recognize, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And whether to unmask him or try to gain power over him, I don't know. But he identifies Jesus before this crowd. Jesus rebukes the demon. He does not want this testimony. He says in verse 35, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. And then he said, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. It says in verse 36 that all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. That's the purpose of the miracles, as we've seen. They are signs to point you to believe in the authority and the power of Jesus. And It says in verse 37, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So what are we to make of this? That's strange sounding to most of us. What, what do we make of this? I want to try to answer some questions about demons and demon possession that we might have from this passage as we begin to look at these miracles this month. And the first question that, that I want to address is, are demons real? Is demon possession real? There are those uh, who would say that these people were primitive and they're just using this as an explanation for things that they don't understand, that we're more sophisticated with our knowledge, and so uh, they didn't know what epilepsy or seizures or whatever was, and this man was thrown down to the ground, and so they're just labeling by spiritual things uh, what uh, they don't yet understand, and we know a lot more than that. Well, let me answer that in a couple of ways. Let me first of all show that in the Gospels, they do know the difference. They don't label every thing that occurs as demon possession. I want to read to you a verse from Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. It says uh, in the middle of that verse that uh, people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. So they're not identifying every seizure as demon possession. Here they're delineating with people who had seizures and they were brought to Jesus and the demon possessed. They're not labeling everything as demon possession. So that argument really doesn't hold water. They, 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 they see some things and they're, they're diseases, they're seizures, and then they see something different that is demon possession. Some folks would say, well, but they just didn't understand all the psychiatry that we know, and now that we know about multiple personality disorder, where a person may have multiple personalities, and so maybe that's what it was. i share with you the testimony of a a medical expert. William Wilson is a professor of psychiatry at Duke Medical Center, uh, a leading institution in our country. And he says that many of the things that I see could be described in medical terms, disassociation, multiple personality disorder, but he says, I have seen things that are different from this that go beyond that, which I would label as possession. So even a sophisticated uh, doctor of psychiatry at one of our leading institutions recognizes that there is something different from those things That sometimes there are things that could only be described as demon possession. So, let me tell you what the Bible says about demons to give some background here. The Bible tells us, to summarize, that God created everything and that among his creation are angels, that God has created spirit beings that are his servants. We don't understand all about them, but the Bible tells us that they do not have bodies, they're spirits. The Bible tells us that they do not reproduce and they do not die. And so uh, there's the same number of angels that there has always been. They don't reproduce or die. And the Bible tells us that uh, some of these angels have rebelled against their master, the Lord. And that the devil or Satan was one of these angels, maybe a lead angel, maybe an archangel, and he has led a rebellion sometime before Genesis 3, sometimes way back there after God created everything, but before the temptation recorded in the Garden of Eden, and he is led astray. There's a passage in Revelation that says the dragon swept a third of the stars from the sky. It might be that that means that a third of the angels rebelled. We don't know that for sure. It's a very uh, uncertain passage, but some number of Angels join Satan in a rebellion, in sinning, and that's what we call now demons. Demons are fallen angels. They are identified in a couple of places in Scripture as the devil and his angels. So demons are his angels, fallen angels, rebellious angels, sinning angels who have um, followed Satan and now are opposed to the work of God. And so they, they want to destroy. They hate God and want to destroy God. And so we are caught in the middle. We're humans. We're the crown of God's creation, the Bible says. And so they want to destroy us. They want to entice you to sin. They want to destroy you because they want to get back at God, because they're, they're against God and his work. And so there's a great spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes in our universe, and we are caught up in that. And God has sent his son Jesus to earth to rescue us by dying in our place and take the punishment for our sin, and to destroy the works of the one who is opposed to us, the work of of the devil and so we're in a spiritual warfare and yes I think demon possession is real that if you uh, as the devil tempts you if you leave yourself wide open that in rare cases the devil can actually take possession of you just as oh, if you believe in Jesus he comes into your life and uh, becomes your owner and your master And so if you open your life to the devil, in rare cases he can come into your life or his demons can come into your life and take possession. Judas is a case study of this. Let me just show you a couple of verses from uh, uh, John chapter 13 about Judas. I'm just picking out a couple of verses here to show this progression. In John 13, verse 2, it says... The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So here's here's the devil prompting. You ever had the devil prompt you to do something? I'm sure you have. I have. That's his work. He wants to prompt you in rebellion, in disobedience. So he prompted Judas to disobey. Now look on down in the chapter at verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. You hear the possession there? Because he didn't reject the prompting, because he was wide open to the prompting to betray. And now this occurs right at the time when Jesus gives him one more chance. And he offers him the bread. The one who takes the bread will betray me. And Judas takes the bread. In that final act of rebellion and disobedience, it says that Satan entered into him. So it is possible when you open your life to evil that that a demon could possess you, and that's what's happened here in this story. And Jesus is showing his authority and his powers greater than the forces of evil, and Jesus cast the demon out of the man. Now, second question then that I, uh, comes to my mind is, well, if this is real, If this demon possession is real, what's described here in the New Testament, then why don't we see more of that today? In my 40 years of ministry, I've never seen exactly what is described. We've read about in Luke 4, where someone in another voice speaks through a person and causes great uh, torment, that I see that evidence of possession. I've seen things where I believe were demon oppression and demon influence, in my ministry, but never exactly this. Why not? Why do we not see that as much? I want to read to you a verse from Matthew chapter eight, uh, verse fourteen, and it says uh, Matthew eight sixteen. Uh, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. So there were many. When they heard Jesus was there, they brought many demon-possessed people. I don't know many demon-possessed people. Even if you say, well, I think I've seen this before. I bet you haven't seen it a lot. I I bet you you couldn't round up many people to bring to Jesus. So if this is real, then why don't we see it as much? I don't know, but I'm going to share with you some things to think about. You can, you can evaluate what I'm sharing with you in this section. It may be that, we're, that I'm just not very observant and don't know. Maybe it's there and, I, and, we're just, and it, we just don't recognize it. That's possible. But let me share with you three reasons why I think maybe we don't see it as much as in the New Testament time. Number one. The the work of God came out in the open when Jesus came. This is a major confrontation in the battle of good and evil. For example, angels come out in the open, don't they, in the story of Jesus? An angel appears to Mary, to Joseph, to Zechariah, guides Joseph on his way. You have a flurry, I'm saying, of spiritual activity when this important event of the coming of the Son of Man comes to earth. And naturally, as God launches an offensive in this war, I think Satan is launching a counteroffensive. And I think there is, in the battle in this New Testament time, um, more open demon attack and possession you're saying, why don't we see it as much if it's real? Well, this was, this was a big deal. This was the, the battle coming out in the open, and you have the offensive of God and the offensive of demons out in the open. It may be, I think, a, a, erupt again in spiritual warfare at the end of time. A second reason why I believe we don't see this type of demon possession as much today is I believe there is a residual Christian influence in Western civilization. In North America and some degree in Western Europe, although that's changing, we are blessed to have a Christian heritage. Our nation was founded on some Christian principles. There are churches. There are prayers. We, are, we have pushed back the darkness in some little extent, the kingdom of God. And we're blessed, and so there is not as much of this open demon possession. If you go to nations where... Um, it's on the border of paganism in the church, then you see more of this in missionary settings in third world countries. There is much more of this exact same thing described as we're reading about in Luke chapter 4. And part of that is because in those cultures, there is an openness to animism and to spiritism and to voodoo and to magic. And when you open yourself to those things, then you, you, it's an invitation to the demonic on a mission trip to Brazil, I visited in a neighborhood with Brazilian uh, church members who were translating, and we'd go to houses, and they would tell us if they knew the people coming to the house, and we got to a couple of different houses, and they said, this, this person does voodoo that we're about to go in, and we'd pray before we went into that house, and went into a house there, and uh, the lady that we were talking to just seemed very evasive, and I thought, I'm just going to ask her. I said, um, do you, do you practice voodoo? And she became very agitated and very upset and very defensive in that question uh, as I tried to share with her about Jesus. I'm saying simply that you see more of this where there is not this Christian heritage on the borders of the church in missionary settings. Now, what's happening in Western Europe, and I think may eventually happen in North America if there is not revival, is that you're losing that Christian heritage. Those cathedrals are setting empty or being changed into something else in Europe, and we're losing that Christianity, and so in that vacuum, I think you'll see an increase perhaps of this very kind of thing. I'll share with you a third reason I don't think we see this openly as much today, and that is that it may be that Satan simply changes his tactics in a rational age that doesn't believe in him. In a world that doesn't believe there's a devil as much, he doesn't want to show you a devil. That's not going to help his cause any. He goes underground. You see, Satan wants to destroy you. He doesn't care how he do it. If he just keeps you comfortable in your sin and just keeps you to buy into prosperity and the worship of money or the worship of pleasure or sex, then that's just as effective for him. And so I think the old deceiver may change his tactics in a rational age that doesn't believe in him. He doesn't want to come out in the open. He doesn't want to rock the boat. He just wants to let Americans go on and he'll destroy us in a gentle path. I'm saying that I think the fact that we don't see this kind of demon possession uh, openly as much in our culture today is not reason to believe that he is not real and active and that demons are not at work In our world. Well, let me share with you a third question. Can Christians be demon possessed? I think the answer to that is no. Because you see, when you're a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he possesses you or fills you. And I want to share with you a verse in 1 John 4.4. 4. Some of you know this verse. If you don't and want to memorize one verse on demonology, if you want to memorize one verse on this subject, this is the verse that I would encourage you to memorize. First John 4.4, 4, and it says... You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. And if you read the verse before, you'll see the them is the spirits that have gone out into the world, the spirit of the Antichrist. You, dear children, have, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There's your verse you need to memorize right there about demons. You want to know one thing about them? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so if you have Christ in your life, doesn't mean you're immune to demons, doesn't mean you won't be attacked or prompted, but you can't be possessed. Now, a person can appear to be a Christian or even think they're a Christian. Judas was right there, one of the 12, and he was possessed by a demon. But if, indeed, you've been born again of God and you have invited Jesus into your life and his spirit has taken up residence within you, and he helps you fight your battles, and greater is the one who is in you than the one who's in the world. Last question that I want to try to answer as we introduce uh, these miracles. What should be the Christian attitude toward demons? What should be the attitude of Christians toward demons? I think there's two extremes. First of all, a few Christians... Give too much attention to the devil and the demons. Have you ever known some Christians that they were just obsessed with demons and they always talked about demons and they found demons in every problem and in every sin? Uh, The Bible tells us not to fear demons. We're not to fear demons. We're only to fear God. Jesus tells us, fear not, repeatedly in the Bible. So don't fear evil spirits or evil forces or magic or, or, or any of those sorcery. Don't fear that. Fear God. He's greater than that. May your reverence be to Him and don't be obsessed with that because the danger is if you blame every problem on a demon and everything is from a demon uh, then the danger is that you transfer responsibility and you don't own it yourself. You see the Bible does talk about a lying spirit But it doesn't identify every time you lie as being a problem with a demon that you need to bind the demon. You know what the Bible says when you have a problem with lying? Repent! Just repent of that! Turn from that! So there's a little bit of a danger that if you get obsessed with demons, that you blame everything on demons and every problem in our world comes from that and you avoid the responsibility of that. So don't fear them, don't be obsessed with them. But many Christians, perhaps most of us, need to hear the other extreme, and that is we take too lightly the reality of spiritual danger in our lives. And we need to have a greater awareness of spiritual warfare and the danger of demons. Specifically, Christians don't need to to, um, be involved in any of the magic arts, or fortune-telling, or astrology, or horoscopes, or divination, or seances to contract the dead, or witchcraft. The Bible specifically warns us about this. There is a reality behind that. Oh, some people just dabble in it as fun, but that's a dangerous thing. There is a spiritual reality of darkness uh, that Christians don't want to open their lives to. Let me read to you an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and following. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their sons or daughters in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So those things are not entirely innocent. They can open your life up to evil spiritual forces. Now, I don't think that that parents ought to freak out over every story that talks about a witch. There's a lot of great literature that... uh, fairy tales that have talk about the witches of Wizard of Oz C.S. Lewis in his Christian literature in the Chronicles of Narnia has the presence of witches it's it's not wrong many times that's a way especially for children of casting the battle between good and evil in ways that they can understand so don't freak out when you got stories of magic or or witches whatever what you do want to look for is it presented in a Christian way in which there is a struggle between good and evil, and, and good is the one that is elevated. So you look for in that kind of literature, is there, uh, you know, the, the, the wicked witch of the West, the black witch is bad, somebody else is good, and that's what you look for in that. Uh, so I'm not saying that Christians freak out over every kind of thing, but you don't open your life up to seances and all of these other things. Now let me say to you another thing about that. Just because you don't do that doesn't mean you're immune to demons. Because, again, he doesn't care how he destroys you. And you can be a person, oh, I would never participate in any witchcraft or, or, or a Ouija board or, or black magic. But you sin, and when you have unrepentant sin, you still open yourself up to the devil. He doesn't care how, whether he gets you directly or indirectly. Let me show you two a, a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 26 and 27, Ephesians four twenty six, says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So you see, not only does uh, witchcraft give the devil a foothold, but just plain old garden variety anger can give the devil a foothold when you let the sun go down on it, when you don't deal with it, when there is unrepentant, unresolved anger in your marriage and you wouldn't have anything to do with witchcraft, but you're still giving the devil that opening in your life to destroy your marriage or destroy your peace of mind or destroy your spiritual relationship to God because he, he doesn't care what weapon he uses. He'll just use plain old anger or lust or whatever. So, in this spiritual battle, you be aware that the devil is going to use unrepentant, unresolved sin to gain an access point into your life. So, what you need to do positively is in Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven. Let me read it to you. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We really need to hear that. There are a lot of people who are opposed to Christians, but our problem is really not with the people. They're captives of an enemy, and we show grace and have some compassion to our human enemies because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You hear all those titles They're, it's talking about demons demons are real there's a real warfare going on in your life invisible behind the scenes I think the devil just wants to keep it hidden from your view in our culture largely because he's going to wants to slowly take you down. We need to see we have a battle. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And this passage goes on. You need to read it. It tells you what that armor is. It's truth. It's righteousness. It's salvation. It's the Bible, the Word of God. It's prayer. Those are the spiritual weapons that constitute armor that protect you in this battle. And so you don't freak out. You don't fear demons. You don't obsess over them but you don't take lightly the attacks of the real warfare. And some of us are. Some of us in our lives are playing with a danger in our lives because we we think that it's just us when there's another force at work in your life that wants to destroy you. Stay close to Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the armor of God because we have a warfare. That is real. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you that greater is the one who's in us than the one in the world. Help us to live with confidence and fe- faith and not with fear. But Lord, I want to pray for some folks right now, maybe who are Christians who are in this room, that they're allowing the devil a foothold in their lives. And oh God, I pray you'd help, you'd open our eyes. I pray you'd bring us to repentance. That to, right now we would turn from that sin, that we would resolve any bitterness, any broken relationships, any disobedience in our life. That the devil would gain no foothold. I pray positively, Lord, that you'd help us to get serious about your word and about church. That we'd get serious about prayer, get serious about knowing the, how to stand in you. Lord, I want to pray for somebody here today who uh, does not have you in their life. And I pray that they would see that there is one who wants to possess us that would give us strength, wholeness, come into our life and save us in this spiritual battle. And I pray right now that somebody would call out in this room to you in their hearts and say, Dear Jesus, as you cast out the demon, give me victory over evil. Come into my life and be my savior. Forgive my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I'm willing to follow you as Lord of my life. I'll be baptized. I'll be your disciple. Oh God, I invite you to come into my life right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.